and welcome. We want to pause just a moment before we dive into God's Word this morning and recognize some really important folks who might be in the room. So many of you know that yesterday was Veterans Day, and it's because of our veterans who have served, who have risked life, who have done all of that for our country, that we can even gather here this morning and worship in freedom. And so if you are a veteran in the room this morning, we would just ask that you stand quickly. We would love to recognize and thank you for what you have done. So please stand. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. Well, if it's your first or second time here, we're glad that you're joining with us. If you call Great Oaks home, it is always a pleasure to join and worship and study God's word with you. We are in week three of a series we are calling The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, where we're trying to figure out what does it look like to slow down enough to to abide with Jesus. So if you were here week one, we diagnosed our problem. Our problem is, as psychologists call it, hurry sickness. And the solution that uh, John Mark Comer has in his book is that we need to learn to abide, to live with Jesus, to rest in him. And then for the four weeks after that, starting last week and continuing this week, we're looking at different ways that we abide. What does it mean to abide with Jesus? And so last week we talked about abiding in silence. And the take-home homework for you this week was two minutes of silence every day. How do we do? Little head nods, little all right. So a couple people got there. Okay, great, great. That's actually my biggest fear with this whole series. Anytime we dig into spiritual disciplines or things like that, sometimes we make those, and we don't mean to, but we inadvertently make those things a to-do list. So we put a checkbox next to it. And if you're like me, you love checking boxes on your to-do list. And so we go, oh, spend two minutes with Jesus today, check it off. Read my Bible today, check it off. Prayed today, check it off. And what happens when we have checklists? Two things happen. One, we look at our neighbor and we go, did you check it off? Or we wonder how many other people in the room spent their two minutes. Or then we try to make it a competition. I wonder if anybody spent four. I spent six. wonder if they spent eight. Right? And we try to compare and we get real legalistic about it. Or we go the other way and we didn't do it. And then all of a sudden we feel this guilt and this shame and we don't want to admit that like, oh, well, I didn't do that. And neither one of those is going to be helpful in a relationship and neither one of those check boxes or guilt and shame is how we form a relationship. I mean, think about this for a minute, right? Corey and I get married. We go out. I go out and I sit in the limo. Corey comes out, gets in the limo, and I'm sitting there. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I am making a checklist of all the ways I'm going to love you for the decades to come. I'm going to make sure I get you a present every year on your birthday. Write that down. I'm going to make sure I buy you Reese's peanut butter cups every year for Valentine's Day because I know that's your favorite chocolate, so we'll get that taken care of. Every year on our anniversary, we're going to go away for a night, get that down. I'll make sure the car is always taken care of. It's never out of gas. And I've got a checklist. So look, how am I doing? I'm going to get an incredulous stare, right? Like, what are you thinking? That is not how you show me you love me. No, I've got a checklist. It'll be great. That's not how we celebrate our love for each other, right? We got married, then we got in the car, we drove to the reception hall, and we had a great meal with all of our friends, and we celebrated the love that God had 
built between the two of us with friends and family. We drove to the Smoky Mountains. We hiked. We went on horseback rides. We ate lots of food. We had lots of sex. It was great, and we celebrated God's love for us in that moment, right? That's, that's what it means to enjoy, to desire, to delight in a relationship. And so as we think about two minutes of silence, and as we think about what we're going to talk about today, it's not about checking the box. It's not about, oh, yes, I did it. It's about how am I growing in my relationship with Jesus? How am I living in gratitude for what Jesus has done? I'm not earning anything. My two minutes of silence doesn't make Jesus love me more. It's my response to what he's already done. Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross. My act of gratitude back to him for that is to say, thank you. And because of that, I want to invest in this relationship. I want to get to know you more. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 5. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. That doesn't sound like a checklist. One of the early American preachers during the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards, said it this way. True religion consists in holy affection. Holy affection. You see, I think abiding in Jesus is our opportunity to dive into that relationship, to experience the joy and delight that Jesus wants us to have. And it's, under, it's really important we understand that before we jump into today's topic. Because I think today's topic is one that we can look at and we can become super legalistic about. And we'd be like, well, did you do that or this on that day? Or we can just be like, Jason is completely out of touch with reality. I don't want to even think about doing that. I'm just going to ignore everything he had to say. And that topic today is rest. I wonder how good we are at resting. My assumption is that rest is one of the most neglected gifts God has given us. Rest is one of the most neglected gifts that God has given us. If you're familiar with the Bible, you might know or recognize the word Sabbath. If you're here and not, I'll explain it to you. And for those of you who, are who know it, I wonder if you know the Hebrew word. It sounds a lot like it. It's one of those fun Hebrew words to say. That's how I learn them is the fun ones. So the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat. So you guys can say it with me. Shabbat. All right, audience participation. You guys get an A. That's great. And it essentially means, Shabbat means to rest or to delight. And this idea of Shabbat, it's actually a verb. So think about that. This is not a noun. It's a verb as we look at it. And look at it in the earliest scripture, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was complete. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. God has been busy creating all that we see and experience. He's created an environment where life can exist. He's thrown the stars and hung them in the skies. He's put the galaxies in their place so vast that we're still discovering them. 
He's created the animals and the fish and the birds that will inhabit those places. And on the sixth day, he creates humankind. And on the seventh day, God rests. Now, please don't misunderstand this. God is not like exhausted. It's not like, oh, God spent himself. He needed a nap. He was just tired. No, God is doing this. We're going to see in a little bit for us. God rests. But it's interesting because God just doesn't rest. God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. There are three things in the creation account, if you go back and read Genesis chapter 1, that God blesses. He blesses the animals, he blesses human beings, and he blesses a day. Let that sink in for just a minute. John Mark Comer in his book says the Sabbath just like an animal or a human being, has the life-giving capacity to procreate, to fill the world with more life. Sabbath brings life. A day of rest. The power to create life. Have you ever thought about that in our own lives? I wonder if in the middle of our numbness from racing so fast, our anxiety, our depression, our, need, our feeling of alone and solitude in an unhealthy way, I wonder if, if a little rest would bring healthy, fresh life back into those places of desperation. For those of us who feel exhausted, overwhelmed, like we're never going to get to the end of our to-do list, we're on the brink of collapse, we can't imagine what rest would feel like or what would happen if we tried to take it. What if we trusted God's word and we allowed rest to bring life back into our exhaustion, into our spent bodies? In a haunting statement, Viktor Frankl, a survivor of Auschwitz, said, People today have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. Have we reduced this life down to what can I accomplish today? Have we lost the sense that there's purpose behind just my to-do list? That God is calling us to something bigger, something more. Life's lived at 100 miles an hour, and we can't even imagine slowing down. Yet God didn't just make this day about life, about blessing it. He also makes it holy. It's a day holy, a place where we can come and meet with God. Now, this is the scariest thing for a pastor to say on a Sunday morning. That means you don't need to be in this room to meet with God. Congratulations, those of you joining online. You can stay at home on your couch and meet with God. We can meet with God on a hike as we enjoy his creation. We can meet with God in a holy space, in a coffee shop. We can find all kinds of places. We don't need to make pilgrimages. Now let me clarify for anybody who's getting really nervous. Yes, there is benefit to corporate worship, so we'll get to that in another sermon. But I wonder if you, like myself, aren't thinking about Sabbath all wrong. 
I don't know about you, and this is just honest confession. The idea of like sitting down and reading my Bible, singing worship songs, and praying for 12 to 16 hours a day every week is not super motivating to me. Maybe that means I'm a bad Christian. You can pray for me if that's what you feel like. But maybe I'm like, oh, I could do that a couple times, but man, at some point, every week I'm going to need a little something different. Well, when we look at that idea of Shabbat, it means rest and delight. What are the things that bring you life and joy? What if we began to do those on our Sabbath? What if we set aside time on our schedule to take a hike and enjoy God's creation? What if we slowed down enough to enjoy time together as a family to create a meal together? And sit around a table and eat it? What if we carved out time to spend with friends and family members who we love playing a game? Delighting in each other's company, going for a bike ride, tending to your flowers, worshiping as a family, reading a good book, taking a nap. I don't think it's just about a nap, but I don't think there's anything wrong with a nap in the middle of our Sabbath. What are the things that bring joy and delight to you? When you think about spending a whole day doing that, I'm ready for that day now. I'm ready to read my Bible. I'm ready to study. I'm ready to go on a bike ride or go out and be in creation. I'm ready to play a game with my family and enjoy some just much needed rest. But we're not going to go 100 miles, a down, 100 miles an hour six days, and then stop on the seventh. That's like whiplash. Our oldest son is learning how to drive. He's doing a great job. Uh, He's more like his mother than me, so that makes him a much better driver already because he's not nearly as aggressive. But when you're learning to drive, you have that pedal transition issue, right? We've all been there. You either tap the gas a little harder than you expect or you hit the brake and when you hit that stop and you're like, That's what's going to happen to us if we try to run six days at 100 miles an hour and stop on the Sabbath. We're going to end up with whiplash. We're not going to be able to do it. We're going to look at that and be like, you're crazy. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says this, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. It's not just about one. It's about learning to slow down learning to rest, learning to find those moments in the midst of our hurried lives that change us. It's interesting to me, as you read Scripture, God gives us the Sabbath rest in creation as an example. He says, I'm going to rest, you should rest like I rest. And then when we don't follow the example, then it becomes a command, right? And it's not just any command, it's in the Ten Commandments, but it takes up 30% of the Ten Commandments. The words about Sabbath take up 30% of the Ten Commandments. This is not a command that God's like, oh yeah, you can just ignore it. No, he was serious about it. And the first time he gives it to Moses, he gives it to him in Exodus chapter 20. He says, you should do this because I did this in creation. Now, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament story, Moses is the one who leads the Israelites out of Egypt. He goes up on a mountain. God speaks to him. He writes the Ten Commandments. Then he comes back down. And what happens when he comes back down? He was up there too long. So the Israelites thought he died. 
And so they start worshiping a false god. Because obviously when the god who delivered you from Egypt takes the leader home and he dies, you should just worship a false god. I'm not sure what was going on in the Israelites' mind, but that's what they thought. Moses does come down. He's not dead. Loses his mind. Breaks the Ten Commandments. And then they wander in the wilderness for a little while. And then before they're getting ready to go in the promised land, God gives them the Ten Commandments again. Now, not only does the command to keep the Sabbath take up 30%, it's the only command with a reason why. I told you the first time the reason why is because God rested at creation. I want you to look for the reason why as God gives it to the Israelites again in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All the male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out of, with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Did you catch it? Moses takes them back to the why, not back to creation this time, but back to their slavery in Egypt. Why would he do that? Why not go all the way back? Why stop at Egypt? Well, it's because the people who left Egypt, because of their disobedience, are not going to enter the promised land. It will be their children who've never experienced the harshness of slavery. And he wants them to know that, remember, I've brought you into freedom. Slaves don't get a day off. Slaves work seven days a week to meet the demands of their master. Whether they have all the tools they need to meet that demand or not, the Israelites had to make the bricks in Egypt. Slaves work for a master who doesn't rest. Slave works, slaves work long hours each day accomplishing the task of their bosses. Oops, I mean masters. I think this second reason why maybe speaks more to us in 2023 than the first reason. We would never say it this way, but I wonder how much of us are enslaved to our work. Enslaved to our jobs. Enslaved to the tyranny of the urgent that somebody else is putting on our lives. How many times does that email buzz or go off on our phone and it doesn't matter what time of day it is, we're going to answer it. Enslaved to the next sales goal, the next promotion. Enslaved to this desire that we have to be satisfied that seems unsatisfiable. Maybe the most convicting, we're slaves to our lifestyle. We've worked so far or we've spent so much to get to a point in life that don't ask me to change the lifestyle. I'll do whatever it takes to maintain this lifestyle. Sabbath is an act of resistance. An act of resistance against the demands of this world. An act of resistance against our own heart to want more. 
Maybe this is no more seen than the storage industry. And if you're not familiar with the storage industry, we, it is a booming industry of $38 billion a year to store stuff. Because we've got to have more. We've got to have so much more, we don't have room in our homes to, to keep it anymore. We rent storage lockers to keep it in so we can just go visit it every once in a while. There are 2.3 billion square feet of storage locker in the United States alone. 2.3 billion. Now that number is huge, right? And we're like, I can't really comprehend that. That's just a big number. That's seven square feet per person who lives in the U.S. today. That means we can almost house comfortably the entire American population in our storage lockers. Do we really need more? What would happen? What would happen in our lives if those of us who own businesses said, we're going to close for a Sabbath? What would happen in our families if we said, I'm not getting on Amazon today. I will not buy anything I do not need from Amazon today. I won't look at my Amazon wish list, which is full of things that I don't really need, but I really want. I'm not going to buy it today for 24 hours. What about if none of us went to Target just for a 24-hour period and we believed that there was nothing in Target that we had to have? We just stayed home. We ate the food we already have. We enjoyed the stuff we already have, and we enjoyed the company of the family that loves us. Now, I know you all think, Jason, you're crazy, right? No one in the world is going to do this, right? Well, there's one business that's proved you can do this and be really profitable. $4.5 billion profitable, to be exact. That's the net worth of Chick-fil-A, right? I'm pretty sure they're doing okay making fried chicken and waffle fries. That's what they're eating on their Sabbath, right? Like, they're doing it. It is possible, it's a matter of, do we want it? Are we willing to live in resistance to the demands of more? Now, I know some of you are like, oh, this is great, Jason, but Sabbath, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. Thanks, Jesus, for coming. We don't have to live, live under all those rules. I don't have to live taking a day off anymore because Jesus set me free from that stuff. And maybe. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 2, verse 23, and see what Jesus says. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking bread or breaking heads off of grain to eat. Wouldn't it be great if the bread was already made in the grain field? Anyway, side note. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his com companions were hungry? They went into the house of God during the days when Abathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus says this, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. The Pharisees are the kings of checkbox people. 
They have created checkboxes under checkbox. Did you keep the Sabbath? Check. How did you keep the Sabbath? Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? Did you do this? They are the kings of legalism. They've got all the checkboxes, so make sure you know. I'm not quite sure that, like, picking a little grain off of wheat is the same as, like, getting the combine out and harvesting. But, you know, whatever. They thought it was. And Jesus is like, you missed the point. Sabbath is made for us. It's made for us. It's made so we can rest. We neglect this gift that God has given us. Now, I want to be honest with you. Walking through this sermon series, this was my least looking forward to sermon of the week, of the, of the series. I am awful at this. True confessions. I'm not good at taking a day off, let alone a Sabbath, and yes, they are very, very different things. So if you're in the same boat, we're there together. But if we continue to ignore what God has given us, designed us for, we're missing a chance at life. We're missing a chance at rest. We're missing a chance at the freedom that God wants for us. We're neglecting one of the gifts he's given to us. What would it take? What would it take for you to find time to rest? What would it take for me to find time to take a Sabbath? John Mark Comer writes in his book, writes this book from a place of brokenness. As a 30-year-old pastor of a megachurch who's experienced everything he's supposed to experience and feels alone and burnt out and numb. He's got two young kids. He's in his mid-30s, living in New York. What's going to happen if we don't learn to rest? What would it take? John figured it out in his book, and he shares how his family has done it. What would it take for us? Spend one day not buying more things we don't need, doing things that bring us life, and deepening our relationship with Jesus and each other. I can tell you this, this has been one of the most convicting books I've ever read. There have been times I've like just put it down for weeks on end because I'm not going to read it. I started reading it last March. I still have the last chapter left to read. It's hard. What I've realized in this journey is that I need to fight for Sabbath. I need to fight for rest. I had a taste of it last week. At least three quarters of my family had a taste of it last week. Couldn't quite get the whole family there. Ethan had a chess tournament, so he went off for his chess tournament, played chess. The rest of us got to sleep in a little bit. We read. We played a new game. We had meals together. We watched some TV together. We just rested. And at the end of the day, I was sad Ethan wasn't there, and he missed out on it. But at the end of that day, I found myself looking forward to the next time I got a day like that. Unfortunately, that was not yesterday, and God may have taught me a lesson. Just saying. But those moments show us what life could be like. 
Again, it's not about guilt. It's not about did I do it or did I not do it. It's about how am I growing in my relationship? How am I learning to slow down? If you're thinking, Jason, you have no clue how fast my family runs. You're right, I don't. Maybe the first thing, if you're like, there's no way I could be inactive for a whole day. What would it take to turn this off for 24 hours? Put it on a shelf and not turn it back on. Because I'm going to bet in our list of things that cause us joy and delight, none of us put this first. Even if there's things that we're like, oh, I like the video game I play on here. It's not in my top 10 things. But what if in silencing that, we were able to think and to see and experience life differently so that we began to change our priorities, so that we began to look at this schedule and think about from sundown to sundown in a 24-hour period, what would it look like for us to just start freeing up time? Ugh, I'm going to rip this whole thing down. One day to rest. One day to do the things we love to do. One day to build our relationship with Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we want to begin by saying thank you. Thank you that you want us to rest, that you've given us this gift. Thank you that you showed us what it means to rest. Thank you for building desires in our lives that bring us joy. God, we ask for your forgiveness for the ways we've left this gift unwrapped. If some of us were honest, it's been sitting under the Christmas tree for years and it just gets shoved in the corner and brought back out every year, but we don't open that gift. God, I pray that you would slow us down. That you'd give us the courage to stop for just a minute, to think about our priorities, to think about what you're asking us to do. And God, help us find the time to rest, to invest in activities that bring us joy, that draw us closer to you, that draw us closer to each other. And God, I pray that as we do that, you would produce in us fruit, fruit of love, of peace, of patience, of gentleness, of kindness that would cause us to want to keep doing this, that would help us see the value in doing it. Not because we have to, but because it's so enriching to our relationship with you. God, thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.